Hi, I'm Eric. And I'm Megan. And this is Cinema Super Collider, where we're smashing up cinema one movie at a time. Greetings, my friends. We are all interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here, my friend. Can your heart stand the shocking fact about cinema, On this episode of Cinema Super Collider, we take a look at the trilogy of stalked by my doctor movies that were originally shown on the Lifetime TV network, starring a talking cat's Eric Roberts. That's probably what he's most famous for. As a talking cat? The voice of of, uh, Muffy on uh, a talking cat. I think it was Muffy. I can't remember. It doesn't really matter. It's just the talking cat, really. Duffy. Duffy. It was oh, Duffy. you're right. It is Duffy. Yeah. Yeah. I think most notably, Eric Roberts is known for his Academy Award nominated turn in the movie, The Runaway Train. Yeah. And it was also something like The the King of New York or something like that. Um, yeah, something like that. It's, yeah. That's King, the one where he says, they took my thumbs, Charlie. They yeah. took my thumbs. Yeah, I mean, if you're of a certain age, you might remember those things. Uh, I think Runaway Train was from 1985. I don't know. We did that one. 1980s. Yeah, we we did do that one. I'll, I'll post yeah, it as a classic John episode. Boy. Yeah, it was a good movie. It was a good movie. It's a very good movie. It was it was nominated for Academy Awards. Yeah. And what what the, what was the the woman's name? She was in Risky Business. Can't recall that actress name. Um, I don't know. Something. Oh, She's somebody. Top of yeah. my head. Yeah. Anyhow, so we committed to, we should first say, we watched the third installment of Stalked by My Doctor, which is Stalked by My Doctor, Patient's Revenge, a few years ago, because it was it was on the internets as being a ridiculously over-the-top, stupid movie. And it is. Yeah. I think we even recorded an episode of it, but I didn't edit it and we didn't post it. Um, I don't know, but... But anyhow, we we did watch the the third installment of this a long time ago, and then we we it kind of came across our radar again, and we were like, you know what, we're gonna we're going to commit to the bit. We should mention there is a fourth movie in the Stalked by My Doctor oh, there's series. Five. There's five. Oh, there's five. There's five. I thought it's there was a tetralogy. Wait, no, no, no. It's a pentalogy now. I thought there was just the Sleepwalker installment no, there's of it. another one after that even oh okay. both of those require payment though and we're cheapskates so we're, we're cheap. not gonna buy we, those. look we watched three of these movies we watched the original trilogy that's we, the important that's trilogy. the important yes that's the you important storyline now if you're not a connoisseur of the lifetime network lifetime puts out a lot of movies many of which are quote-unquote based on true stories these are not but it's a lot of like Stalked by my psychiatrist, stalked by my doctor, stalked by my gardener. The stalked by my dot, dot, dot world. Yes. You could be stalked by pretty much anyone or anything, and Lifetime has made a movie about it. Lifetime also does a lot of, like, uh, not without my daughter type movies, where, like, um, someone evil has kidnapped someone's some woman's daughter. There's a lot of the movies involve some woman 
of some sort being wronged by some people or menaced by some people. It's all part of the Lifetime Cinematic Universe. <laughs> the Lifetime Cinematic the Universe. LCU. Yes. Uh, in, in which everyone has a stalker. Le- legitimately, everyone has a stalker in the Lifetime Cinematic Universe. But if you're going to have a stalker... Um, Eric Roberts as a... a now, in the, in the movies, they inter, intermittently interchange. Either he's a cardiologist... Or he's a cardiothoracic surgeon. Is that correct? Is that the correct terminology? Yes, that is correct. Okay. Basically, he operates on people's hearts. Yeah. That's a CT surgeon. Those guys are top of the food chain. Right. Top yeah. of the food chain. I mean, like, there's doctors. Doctors are like, that's your base level, right? Like, your general practitioner. Neurosurgeons look down on them, but neurosurgeons got nothing on the chest crackers. Those guys are sure. top. So, yeah, you got, you got, like, doctors, and then you have, like, specialists, and then you have surgeons, like, general surgeons, and then you have specialty surgeons, and then you have maybe brain doctors at the very top. Yeah. yeah. Maybe. I don't no. know. But, you would know better than me. The neurosurgeons are an interesting group of people. They're... Uh, they, you, you can't, you know, there's, there's, there's stereotypes about all different types of surgeons, like orthopedic surgeons are supposed to be like dumb jocks mm-hmm. and you know, it kind of holds a little bit. Neurosurgeons are like, they think they're better than everybody else, but nobody thinks that about them, but they feel like they're better than everybody else. Because brains. Because brains. Yeah. You know? And so like they, they want to they won't believe the radiologist when a radiologist gives them a report, they have to double check the radiologist's report to make sure the radiologist didn't miss something on the MRI or something. You know, they, they do things like that. Mm-hmm. Now, now Eric obviously is a doctor, so he will have some interesting insights about the doctoring. Number one insight, hospitals and doctor's offices are not dark. Yeah, this is, <sighs> every hospital in, in the trilogy of these movies basically looked like they had one light bulb to share amongst the entire building. Look, at night... When everything's quiet, the patients are asleep in their rooms. The room doors are all open, mm-hmm. number one. They yeah. don't close the doors on no. their patients' rooms, and they will dim the lights on a unit. So there are generally two light settings, on and dimmed. Mm-hmm. And that's only at night. And oftentimes, they are not dimmed if there's a lot of activity going on on the floor. Yeah, so. like the ICU, maybe. Oh, yeah. Well, the ICU, I don't think they're ever dimmed in the ICU. Right, because there's important things going yeah. on. I don't know. Maybe they are. I don't know. I didn't spend a lot of time in the ICU. You were in an ICU I was doctor. in a bone marrow transplant unit. I was in a cardiac step-down unit. I was in a bunch of these places, but not, not the ICU. Yeah. And in the ER, they never turn the lights down. <laughs> well, and especially, you know where they don't turn the lights down? In the operating rooms. Oh, for fuck's sake, man. Because, you know, if there's one place you want your doctor, your surgeon to be able to see everything that's going on, it's when they have your, your fucking chest open and they're poking around at your internal organs. Yeah. Now, this is this is not something I'm angry about this movie specifically. No, no. Just in general. Because specifically in this movie, there's pretty much nothing realistic about any part of it. No. So... For me to be upset about the lighting conditions in the hospitals and in the operating rooms and stuff is is a quibble. But it's in like every show I see. Every every time Megan is with me and I watch some sort of hospital based thing, I, I, I levitate about six inches off the couch in and, and steam squirts out of my ears and I scream. They don't have 
They don't do that. They don't do this in the dark. Right, yeah. It just doesn't happen. Watching any sort of like medical movie or TV show with Eric is always an interesting thing because a lot of times they do it right and Eric will confirm these things. But most of the time they don't. (laughs) Eric's other big quibble? Blood. The color of blood. It seems like they're getting better with it. Either that or I'm looking at... uh uh, looking at it in a new way. It seemed like for a long time they were using like really dark, like purple syrupy blood, uh-huh. which is like, that's like the venous blood that you get in the tube that they pull out of your arm. Like to test. Yeah. Pure yeah. venous blood. But if you've got a, a wound and it's got bleeding capillaries or arterial blood or any kind of active bleeding, the blood is like bright cherry red. Mm hmm. And, you know, maybe if there's like large, I can't, can't say I've ever seen large pools of blood on the floor. I would maybe, hope not. <laughs> maybe I have. I don't know. At some maybe point in the, or ER, or in the something. ER. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, like uh, chest wounds and stuff. But yeah, no, uh, it, it, blood is red colored. Mm-hmm. It doesn't look like red paint and it doesn't look purple. It looks red. It's very easy to see. Yes. If you've ever cut yourself, you yes, see. Yes. It is bright red blood. When you take, when you, when you cut yourself in the kitchen and you put, a, a paper towel on there to to soak up the blood and you take the paper towel away it is red blood it is not purple yes all right okay so that that out of the way with that out of the way okay so we watched three movies they all have almost identical plots with variations just think of it like think of it like a a, a little a little classical music piece first we have the theme and then we have the variations so the theme of these movies is eric roberts who in the film, how old do you think Eric Roberts would be in the film? In his 60s? I would say, yes, I would say 65. Okay. So, so he is a well-established and elderly surgeon in the, in the hospital circuit. He's, he is the head of the cardiology unit in Umpty Scrunch, uh, you know, hospital. He starts in some hospital somewhere and makes his way to like southeastern Arizona State University co- Community yeah. College. Yeah, we'll, right. we'll get to that. Yeah. So, uh, each of these movies, he is involved in some sort of life-saving event involving a young woman. Maybe she's a teenager still in high school. Maybe she's, you know, a, a teenager in college. But these are young women, much younger than him. In the course of saving this girl's life, he develops a fixation, an unhealthy fixation that is not based on anything in reality and he proceeds to stalk the girl until eventually he kidnaps her and is going to do something horrible to her in which the heroes show up and save her or she saves herself or whatever i don't know what this is in the dsm-5 in terms of modern diagnostic criteria but this would have been considered something called erotomania Ooh, that sounds spicy. Well, it is. Well, erotomania is a a a fixation on and a formation of a an extreme love bond with somebody that is either unrequited or not returned, or you know, it's it's a delusional type of disorder. I think it's more along the lines of being a, a obsessive compulsive disorder and more anxiety related than it is a pure psychosis. But this is a term called erotomania. And what you can sometimes see is in patients who have access to problems, borderline personality, narcissistic personality, it's not that 
uncommon for a patient to do, to try to develop an erotomanic erotomanic attachment to their shrink mm. and so that's when the patient comes in and says you know doctor we can't see one another you know i think i'm in love with you that sort of thing and then you have to interpret the transference and everything goes sideways sure i never had that happen to me because i never <laughs> had any patients like ever ever get that sensation from me you know you don't that's why you don't do hugs mm-hmm. that's part of the reason why you don't do hugs you don't do physical exams on your psych patients, although they no. did want me to do that in the hospital when I was training, which I thought was highly inappropriate. That doesn't sound right, but you, get, I, you need a physical when you're admitted to the hospital. I will do a physical exam on someone else's patient to do a sure. know, history and physical for the hospital admission, but I'm not going to do a physical on my own patient if I'm admitting them for a psych reason because psych doctors don't touch their patients because because brains yes, and and people who are in fragile emotional states can turn into this kind of thing mm-hmm. in this case the doctor has a a sort of uh, free-floating erotomania toward any woman that he finds that that even remotely finds him interesting mm-hmm. he is already planning their lives together right and we see examples of this where you know he's gone on a online date with with a, a woman who is of more appropriate age than his his target demographic of of obsession now does this happen in all three movies i know it happens in the first and the third it happens in the second because remember he's like he's at a cocktail party oh right yes yeah Yeah, it happens in all three of the movies it happens all three of the movies where we are shown an example of him just legitimately trying to date or approach a woman who is more appropriately aged for him still i mean he's still going after women who are like in their 20s-ish, you know, may- maybe 30s pushing it. You know, he's he's still much older than... I than- would say he's kind of equal opportunity, but I think his, his taste, he has, a, he has a type. He has a type, and that's still in her cheerleading outfit. Right. But I think part of the reason that's his type is because the young women are not savvy enough to pick up on the fact that he's trying to pick up on them. And well, he can get away with a lot more where a, a, a more mature, more savvy woman like his first dates in all of these movies immediately picks up on a creepy vibe and tells this guy to go right. pound sand. I right? do. I do also wonder if what they were trying to go for was like sort of an arrested development thing. Cause like if you, if you think back on, you know, being young and in love, whether that was, you know, a high school person or or whenever it was that you had your first like real infatuation relationship because the the first like person or two that you date like you don't know what you're doing right like you got all these emotions and hormones and feelings and it's like i'm going to i'm going to marry this person this person is the only person i'm ever going to love because i'm 16 years old and that's how it works so i'm wondering if like at some point when he was younger, it's just like that's where that's where his development as far as relationships went stopped. Yeah, I think that's a really fair assessment of the way. I think that that would be a really good formulation for part of why he is the way he is. Ooh, look at me! I'm, do- I, I'm I, doing a diagnosis. Yeah, I think he has this 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 very sort of it, it's a very basic sort of uh, narcissistic uh, idea of an idealized perfect romantic relationship with somebody and like you said that's normal for adolescence Mm -hmm. it's not generally normal 
for adults. Although there are those adults out there who, who there have are a people. Well, obviously, fall in love moments. Yes, obviously. I mean, I feel like these are the people who maybe get married like five or six times over the course of their lifetime because it's like this one is going to be this. I've found the love of my life, and then like. Three years later, they get divorced, and then two well, months yeah, and later, they, and they find the love of their life, and right. then well, it gen- you generally find the love of your life, and then within six months or a year, you absolutely hate and detest that person. I don't know so if you, that's true. Well, no, I'm I'm not saying that's normal, but I'm saying that for the erotomanic type of sure. personality, uh, it's and it also tracks very well with borderline personality types, where it's an over idealization. In this case, it's not necessarily an over idealization of a specific person. But it's an over-idealization of this kind of fantasy relationship. Right. And when that shows the slightest cracks or the slightest inclination that it's not 100% perfect, then they go off the rails. And that brings us back to Eric Roberts. It brings us back to Eric Roberts. His, his name in the movies is Dr. Albert Beck. Now, in the second movie, he's on the, he's on the run, so he uses a different name. So I think he's like Victor Slauson or something like yeah, that. Yeah, Slauson, that's in, right. In the yeah, in the second movie. Right. That's but, the guy's name from Tourist Trap. Well, there you <laughs> Chuck Connor's name in Tourist Trap, Mr. Slauson. Yes. Tourist Trap, a real weird movie. That's the one with the mannequins, right? Yeah, that's yeah. actually kind of a good one. They did that on uh, well, Maybe we'll do that for the show yeah, sometime. They did that on Rift Tracks, I know. Yeah. Uh anyhow, so so we do see him with actual factual women who who have agreed to either go on a date with him or at least entertain his flirtations. And it always goes something like this. I've had a really great time with you. Yes, I, we've spent some time together now and I am having just such the, the good time enjoying coffee or dinner or whatever it is. And then he starts in on this like, well, you know, I have this house in Mexico and he shows he's got a picture of it on his phone. He shows the woman, it's it's a really big house. It's way too big for one person. And I also have this boat, which is, it's not a very big boat. And then he shows a picture of it on his phone. It's like a fucking like, hundred foot yacht or something i wonder if that's really his yacht i wonder i don't if that's think a it fake, is because we never see him in a big yacht we see him in a bunch of big mansion homes yes he uh, does own a bunch of big mansion but homes. that yacht looks like a russian oligarch type yacht yes, yeah it's like it does. you know it needs a crew of 20 to operate it you know? i think that i think that he has this patter that he thinks will impress women of a certain age and it impresses women of a certain age that he's stalking because if you're like 18 years old and some guy's like, look at this house I have and look at this boat I have. Yeah, you and your mom want to come and, and hang out in my big house? Well, And it, like a teenage girl is like, yeah, we do. That sounds like fun. Well, and part of his pattern too is like, I don't have a name for my boat yet. And then he always is like, well, maybe Rachel would be a good name for it or whatever the woman's name is. Mm-hmm. And then he starts planning their whole lives, right? He's like, we're going to have kids and you don't have to work anymore. And then you can just stay home with the kids. And like immediately the women are and this all... This is like after spending a couple hours together. Yes. Yeah. Like maybe three or four hours max. Because there's one date where they, they had coffee and then they were like having such a good time. They went to dinner together. Right. But it could be as short as two minutes. It, yes. I, I mean, there is an example in the second movie where he just legitimately walks up to a woman to try to like hit on her. And, you know, eventually she shoots him down in kind of a, a kind of a bitchy way, to be honest. Like, I, I understand the perspective of the woman of like, oh, God, this guy's trying like this whole like I'm a rich doctor line on me and I don't want to deal with this bullshit yeah. right now. But she's like, I'm a millionaire and my house is bigger than yours. So yeah. Fuck off. Yeah. She's kind of a yeah. bitch. Um, but anyhow, so <laughs> he deserves it, though. I mean, you know. But usually, not, not yet in that movie he does. No, it, but, no, no. Yeah, but, but if you knew the first movie, then, then you know he does. He did. yeah. yeah. Uh. 
but it, it, inevitably the women get the ick like super ick from from him and they're like excuse me we've known each other for legitimately a day and you're already planning our lives together i'm leaving this always then triggers a full-on hissy fit tantrum by eric roberts in in each one of these movies usually where he's screaming i'm a doctor i'm a doctor over and over again yeah yeah he's decompensating you know, that's that's where his his psychological armor falls apart as soon as that tiny crack appears, as soon as like the the just the shift from this idealized perfection to something wrong, he falls apart. But he he has no uh, control over his erotomania. He's like either he's on 100 percent and we are going to be in love forever in our lives in totality with little birds singing around our heads and a little cozy cottage and or everything is shit and I hate this woman and I want to kill her yes. sort of thing. Yes, exactly. Like, oh, how like I love her so much. How <laughs> could she do this to me? I would rather amputate her arms and legs so that she could be here for me. And take her voice box out. And take her voice box out. Yes. That's right. I would like a body, a human body pillow versus... They made a movie about that called Boxing Helena. They did. And, uh, and the movie is okay. The lawsuit ar- like surrounding the movie fucking fascinating oh we'll have to talk about that one then because i saw it a long time ago i was like jeremy irons in it or something no so it was some it was the other guy then from uh uh, one of those british tv shows uh, the barchester towers or something like that well the the real fascinating part of that is the lawsuit that the lawsuit involved a verbal agreement to do the movie by kim basinger she was supposed to be helena in the box and kind of realized that maybe being an armless and legless character in a movie where there was some ick going on might not be great for her career so she backed out but the i believe it was new line cinema was the producers of the movie they were were set to lose a tremendous amount of money based on the fact that she pulled out of the movie they had to, i think laura flynn boyle and yeah i was gonna it. say i think it was laura flynn boyle i i wrote a paper about this uh, my senior year of college for my entertainment law. Oh wow! Class. Interesting. Yes, interesting. I, 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 this was this was a, a thing that I had to actually do a lot of research on. Of course, now it's like twenty five years later, and I'm not a hundred percent on all the details. But <laughs> I know, I know your feeling. Yeah, I mean, th- <laughs> this was my senior year of college in nineteen ninety seven. So you know, there you go. That that tells you how old I am. However, it is a really, really interesting thing, and it did set some precedents as far as like the entertainment industry was concerned about certain types of agreements and how they might financially affect a production of a film. And so, uh, yeah, maybe we'll do an episode on Boxing Helena. It's, like I said, the movie, it's okay. Yeah. But the, the lawsuit, kind of interesting. So what do we? Well, how do you want to talk about this? Do you want to talk about the movies in sequence, or do you want to talk about them in parallel? I think we should talk about them. Well, I think in, I think let's talk about the first two in parallel, and then we can talk about the last one because the, the last one goes the, uh, the last one goes in a few different directions. The third one is is by by and large the most enjoyable of the three movies, but it's also the one that kind of goes off script a little bit because it's it's a patient's revenge. So. 
the perspective of the movie is a little bit more shifted to POV Dr. Oh, Beck. This is going to be full of spoilers, too, because there's lots of twists oh, yeah. in the last one. Well, yeah. yeah. Sort of. I mean, I mean there's, there's twists. Yes. I mean, you, if you're paying attention, you can see it coming. But okay. I mean, you know. But but to, 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 to start this discussion, first off, if you've never seen a Lifetime movie, the acting script and production qualities are not good. They are very cheap. And I'm almost 100% sure that the majority of the budgets on all three of these movies went almost entirely to getting Eric Roberts to be in them. And his liquor bill. Well, no, because... Oh, he brought his own. That's We found out in the third movie that he was responsible for his Hawaiian shirts and his liquor. His pre-made cocktails that he drank. Yeah. He, he, he did those. He drinks a lot. Eric Roberts looks like an old shoe crossed with He's, Peter O'Toole. He's, like if you imagine like a like a like a worn out like brown boot and then Peter O'Toole well, mixed and, together. And I hate to say this, but I was thinking about it last night after we watched the third movie. He kind of reminds me a little bit of like a really leathery old Lyle Lovett. Yeah, yeah. Which is weird and gross because his sister was married to Lyle Lovett. For a brief period of time. His sister is Julia Roberts, and Lyle Lovett is an alt-country musician. Yeah, I think most people are familiar <laughs> with Julia Roberts. I think most people know Julia Roberts, but think, they, think, they might not know Eric Roberts or their relationship, because Eric Roberts is pretty low-key compared to Julia Roberts, who well, was once like the biggest star in the world. I would say she still has pretty good star power. Oh, yeah, I, I, I think, think so. the thing is, though, is that their acting careers, while both of them have worked continuously throughout the many decades... Um, Eric Roberts probably is making, I mean, he, he doesn't turn that down a lot of scripts is what you're saying. Right. He works a lot. And I think that he's one of these actors where it's like craft services has all the tequilas available for you. And he's like, great, I'll be there. How many lines do I need to learn? Doesn't matter. I'll just read them off of this thing right here. Yeah. Yeah. Or he'll just ad lib some parts. I do get the feeling though, that he, he Kind of enjoys making these stalked by my doctor movies, though. He seems to enjoy his bad guy role quite a bit. Yeah. You know, and uh, that, that's part of what makes these good. If you strip away all of like Eric Roberts chewing on the scenery and the kind of cheesy production value of a Lifetime movie, it could just be considered squick and, and gross. Uh, if it were done in a more serious way with a, 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 an actor that had that played it with more subtlety or gravitas or something, it would be a movie that would like turn you off and go like, Oh God, this isn't, this is not fun at all. But because Eric Roberts is in there giggling like a maniac, it makes it much more fun. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, indeed. So our first and second movies, they start off. Obviously we've seen, we see Dr. Beck on a date. It goes badly. He decompensates. He yells and screams and throws a fit. Intro out of the way. Yes, we've got an our, our stock by my doctor. Now, the other thing to know is that in each subsequent sequel, the, a certain percentage of that movie is actually just scenes from other movies in the stock by my doctor. I would say like the second one, probably about five to ten minutes of the movie is just like flashbacks to the first movie. And then in the third one, five to ten minutes of the movie is flashbacks to the previous two movies. Because, you know, we're we got that that. That stuff available to use. Yeah, and it's a shortcut way to... To, to explain. To explain, and it uh, takes away from having to pad the film anymore. That's so it's true. Good. All of these things. So, in both the first and second movie, 
A traumatic event happens to a young teenage girl. In the first one, her boyfriend is texting and driving, guys. Don't do it. You know why? Because you end up in a weird doctor's operating room. In a dark operating room. In a dark operating room. Yes. Uh, In the second movie, uh, it all takes place in Mexico because Dr. Beck is on the run. So a, a young teenage girl swims out too far and is drowning and he gives her CPR incorrectly, by the way, uh, and saves her life. So first movie, we have a young girl in car accident, needs heart surgery. Second movie, young girl drowns, needs CPR. Right. So far, it's I, I see these three films as like a theme in variations. But yes, we're seeing the first theme uh, sort of build out here at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And so almost instantaneously in both of these cases, Dr. Beck falls in love slash infatuation with the recipient of his life-saving skills and is then immediately inappropriate with the the girl as soon as she has recovered from whatever it is. Yeah. He he makes good on the promise of the movie's title. He Yes. He so, stalks these girls. Yeah. In the first movie, like, she's in recovery and he's, like, kissing her face and her mouth while she's passed out. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's creepy. It's really creepy. Yes. I mean... His icky old leathery face. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, Eric Roberts, he obviously enjoys being outside in the Texas sun, right? Because I think that's where the that's where him and Julia Roberts are originally from. I think I they're think all from Texas. Right. Yeah. So, I love a connection once yeah, again. Ooh. Yeah. But I, I think he's just, he really liked being outside. And just like many old people that have been outside for way too long in their life, uh, Robert Redford comes to yeah, mind. Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy you know. Lee Jones. You just start to, you start to tan your own hide after a while. <laughs> he looks like a dog chew. <laughs> I mean, you know. He's, I'm, look, he's, he's by, by any normal old man's standards, he looks perfectly okay. Right. But Kissing a 20-year-old girl who's unconscious in a hospital bed is gross, no matter what, even if it was like... Well, she's she's 20-something playing a 17-year-old. Oh, she's playing 17 in that movie. Oh, that's right. She's yeah, in yeah, high school yeah. in she's the movie. She's in high school. She's a high it, school yeah. senior in that movie. Right. Maybe she's 18, just to make it legal, but Ugh. still, it's gross. Yeah. Yeah. The, the number of times that both Eric and I... Uh, we're watching these movies and went, oh, no, no, ew, no, bad. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if we had, had made it into a drinking game, we would still be hung over today. And we watched these movies over the course of several days. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of moments that are ew. But again, like I said, because it's Eric Roberts and because of the odd dynamic that they show it in in this movie, it's not I mean, if you're triggered by such things, then of course don't watch it. Don't movie watch like the this movie. Because yeah. If uh, on the other hand you can tolerate some uh, squick factor, it's done in a, a way that is um, I don't want to say humorous, but in a way that's like it's it's over the top enough that you don't it's, take it as seriously as if it were. It's clownish. It's, it's a little clownish. Yeah. I would say, and even and I I commented on this a couple of times to Eric while we were watching the films, unless and until. Uh, Eric Roberts is wearing his own Hawaiian shirts. They they dressed this man in clothes that were three or four sizes too large for him. I mean, he he clearly has not a huge frame. And just the amount of... The baggy suits in that era were on men were a little bit like that. Were they? They were. Uh. They were. 
Uh, and it caused me to exclaim at some point during this movie, there has to be a good medium between the baggy suits of the 90s and early 2000s and today's tiny little suits. There has to be a suit that like, you know, you, if you go back to movies from the 1940s and 50s, they had well-fitting suits. Oh, yeah, because you the wore 60s. them all the time. Yeah. They were a little tighter, a little narrower in the 60s. They had a little wider lapels, baggier maybe in the 40s, but they were still within a certain range. Mm-hmm. But if you go back to like 1998, men were wearing suits that looked like David Byrne's suit and stopped making sense. But these movies were from like 2019. Well, these were probably suits in this closet <laughs> since, 2000, yeah. since, since uh, 1998. That's a good point. Okay, anyway, I'm going to stop talking about what people are wearing because there's really nothing, there's no gowns moment in this, guys. No, no. Unfortunately. It does have a white coat on some of the time and it's... Which is, I think, I mean, I, I worked at a medical school, you worked in hospitals, I and mean, I think that they, the, the doctor look that they had in on him was fine. It's always good to wear a white coat. Yeah. Always good to wear a white coat. Yeah, though the 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 medical school that I worked at, the the attendings wore gray coats, which I always thought was kind of weird. Okay, I think it's kind of dapper. The Northwestern gray coat. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, now everyone knows where I worked. Uh. <laughs> um, okay, so so the one thing that I immediately locked into from the first two movies is that the parents involved with these young girls are the worst. Because at multiple times in the first two films, the teenagers eventually cotton to the fact that the attention that is being given to them by this man, because they see him in the hospital for like their follow-up appointments and stuff like that. But then because he's stalking them, like he shows up at the mall where they're having cake with their friend. You know, he shows up at the, you know, the, the coffee shop yeah, at their school with he a shows teddy up, bear yeah yeah he shows or no he showed up with the um, life jacket at the oh the life jacket at the huh? school oh, yeah that was in the second one yeah, yeah. it was in the oh, second right. one yeah he has like weird specific presents that he's giving them he's taking photos of them and you know it's like like the teenagers um, at at some point realize like this isn't going the right way i should tell a parent because that's what you do when you're a child and something bad is happening to you. So in the first movie, she's like, Dad, I don't want to see Dr. Beck anymore. He's creeping me out. He's doing all these weird things. I want to, I want to switch to a different doctor. And her dad's like, well, honey, you know, he is the best cardiologist or cardiothoracic surgeon, whatever. Which leads me to a question that I will ask in just a second. But, but the dad is like, we're not going to switch doctors. You you had this horrible heart accident, and we're only going to see the creepy guy that makes you feel uncomfortable because he's the best in the business. And I guess that's a possibility that maybe a parent would say, but I would think if you were a father and your teenage daughter is like, this man was being creepy to me and was touching my shoulder and showed up, you know, and was like following my friend and I, that, that I, I would think most father figures would be like oh yeah we're gonna shut that shit down but instead he just goes and talks to dr beck and is like yeah my daughter thought you were being creepy and he's like oh that's just a misunderstanding and the father well, immediately- and he's like yeah sometimes patients get that way with their doctors and he blames it on her right and the dad's like oh yeah it must well be of course that's yeah i shouldn't believe my daughter i should believe this man who my daughter feels weird around and in the second movie the daughter's like hey mom 
something weird is going on with Dr. Beck because in the second movie, we, we have a little, this is one of the first variations that we see. In the second movie, he's like, okay, I can't immediately go after the daughter. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to romance the mom who has a bevy of anxiety problems and panic disorder and This might remind PTSD. you of a certain book from the 1950s that's uh, still yes. controversial today. Yes, the opening paragraph of which is a amazing vocal warm-up for theater people. So you will often hear people practicing, getting their, their, their voices ready, using the opening monologue, basically, from Lolita by Nabokov. Yeah, and that's it's basically what the second movie is. It's a riff on the first movie, but using the tropes of Lolita in that he's romancing the mother with the idea of spending more time with the daughter mm-hmm. in an inappropriate way. Yeah, still the same beats, though. And now in my head, I'm thinking Lolita. Anyhow. <laughs> so the parents, fu- and so in the second movie, the, the mom who's being romanced at the time is like, you're just trying to ruin my relationship. Rather than listening to her daughter, who's like, he did these things. Here are the things he did that made me uncomfortable. And I think that he's a creep. And the mom's like, you just don't want me to be happy. And she's like, I'm literally telling you that he's trying to, he's trying to fuck me. And the, and the mom is like, no, that can't be the case. Because he's, you know, he's into me. Well, yes, and there's a weird mom-daughter relationship there that they... A lot of things, if these movies took it more seriously, if they had a better script or any of these other things, aside from being higher on the squeak factor, which would probably make them much harder to watch, you could have explored these different characters in a different way psychologically that would have made for a much more interesting story. Yes, but this is is not that. This is not that, Eric. That would have required... Uh, just a tiny bit of effort on their part. And we churned out this script in like probably an afternoon and a couple cups of coffee. Coffee. <laughs> yeah. Eric Roberts likes his coffee, like likes his bourbon with a little coffee in it. Yes, just a touch. I think. Yeah. <laughs> Although he's he's not as wasted as I've uh, as I've seen him in other things. Or no, and and I think in watching all three of these films because. I mean, he he chews the scenery in all of them for the majority of the runtime. He obviously has some kind of a lisp a little bit, which I don't remember him having when he was younger, which makes me think maybe something something maybe some of his wires got crossed somewhere along the way, somewhere along the line. And and he also has a Texas accent, which which also makes his speech a little like more slurred than I think that yeah. the average actor might yeah. might present. Yeah, to be fair to him, I shouldn't knock him as being a, a falling down drunk. He isn't. Not in the case of this movie. <laughs> no, but his performance in A Talking Cat as Duffy the Talking Cat, I have always said it sounds like someone locked him in a, a truck stop bathroom with a bottle of mezcal and a script and told him that he couldn't come out until all of that was finished. Yeah, they just put a, uh, a an iPhone on the floor and set it on record. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is really weird being in here. I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. I can only talk to you once. That's the rules. I don't make them. I mean, Eric's not exaggerating in that that particular thank you. impression. Thank you. Thank you. you did thank an excellent Eric Roberts as thank Duffy you. the Cat. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Still not as good as, uh, as your uh, Tiny Tim, but... That you know, you peaked. You peaked with Blood Harvest. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. So at some point, we have to manufacture a medical emergency in the second act. After a while, Eric Roberts 
his obsession over the teenager gets to the point where he feels like he needs to abduct her and take her into his home because there are forces outside, usually boyfriends. In the first one, there was a boyfriend who was like, yeah, I think I think your doctor is trying to like get you away from safety. Yeah, he makes up a story with her that she has what the uh, uh, herpes, right? He that's, tells her, oh, I, you got herpes from your boyfriend. That's in the second one. Oh, that's the second one. Yeah, okay. but but still, that's the sort of thing. In the first one, too, he, he's he's basically fabricating stories about yeah. the boyfriend to try and put a wedge in between them. In the first one, he fakes his own death or something, in, or he fakes her death. In, he fakes her death in a using car. Using a cadaver. A cadaver, and then altering the dental records mm-hmm. so that it looks like she got into an accident, but then that gives him free leave to uh, kidnap her and keep her in a footlocker in his bedroom. Yes, which has some um, kind of unfortunate echoes to a real-life case uh, that took place where someone was keeping a girl in a in in a space underneath their bed um probably lifetime knew that but you know we won't get into that one too much but yeah so he he abducts her and she keeps trying to escape and she keeps trying to you know tell him that she's not into him and all this kind of stuff but you know she's tied up at one point in the first movie the the victim is given a sponge bath a towel bath which is very creepy um but in inevitably the girls get free They run to the authorities and Eric Roberts sees no punishment or retribution for anything he's done. The second movie, he tries to kill the mom. Same thing. You know, it tries to kill the mom and then and then. Well, he goes to jail in 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 the the second one. No, I think he goes to jail in the beginning of the first one, doesn't he? No. And then at the beginning of the second one, he tells the story to, no, no, no. You're no, right. No, that no. was the second one. Yeah, the second one. Right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. He, and in jail, he saves a prison guard who's choking on a Snickers um, because you know. But it also shows him fixing tampering with the jury in one. So which one was that? The Where was jury it? tampering is in the third one. In the third one. Yeah. But that, so that's the that's his conviction at the end of the second one. Yes, because in the first one, he just runs away, and there's. There's no resolution in the first one about like what happened until the third movie, because the third movie has the same oh, yeah. victim, quote unquote, right. as the first movie. Uh-huh. The second movie is like we were trying, we we, we were trying, we, we look, we really wanted to make Lolita, so we did, but Lolita by by way of stock by my doctor, and it didn't quite work the same way. But he is actually arrested and caught in the second one by the Mexican police. Because I think they're supposed to be in Mexico. Uh, I think. Or no, they're in California. Are they? Yeah, that they go back. Remember, because he is he. <clears throat> they're it gets ca- very complicated in the in the whole stock by my doctor universe. In the second one, he goes back to California because remember the brothers like I I went and I checked to see if there was a doctor Slauson. Oh that right, ha- had a medical license because okay yeah like Lolita's mother yeah has a brother who's like a no count surfing bum from. Los Angeles. They live down in San Diego in the second mm-hmm. one. And the no count brother comes down and, uh, you know, immediately the doctor starts working on him and, and kind of gets him on his side. But then the no count brother finds out some uh, information that the doctor really isn't that good. And then the doctor does away with the no count brother. And it was really like, I actually give <laughs> Lifetime credit for a really good way of like sussing that out because the the brother's like, 
hey, you know, uh, when you were, because the uh, Dr. Beck is pretending to have been in a band when he was in his youth. And so the, bro- oh, yeah. the brother's like, hey, where were you playing in those bands? Like, maybe I know some of the, the bars and stuff that you were playing at. And he's like, oh, you know, I used to live in Salt Lake City. And the brother's like, hey, me too. And he he knows enough to ask, like, where did you live? Like, I used to live at this address. And if we have any listeners that have lived in Salt Lake City or are familiar with Salt Lake City, Salt Lake City addresses work on a grid based on how far away you are from the temple, the Mormon temple. So the way the addresses, you know, it's like a pair of coordinates. It's like 800 south and 300 east or something like that. Um, because that's that's your your personal location away from the city center temple. And he gives the address to Dr. Beck and Dr. Beck's like, what the hell is that? It's like some weird like like number soup or alphabet soup or something yeah, like that. Says, oh, that sounds more like a mathematical problem than an address. Right. Something like that. But the thing is, anyone who's familiar with Salt Lake City, especially someone who's lived in Salt Lake City, would know that that's how addresses work. And that's why addresses work the way they do. I know this because my dad used to live in Salt Lake City. And, you know, even just that one nugget of information, like, I was like, oh, he got him. Good job, brother. Yeah. I had no idea about that. Yeah. I know that if you're from New Mexico, you can have red, green, or Christmas. You have to That's salsa, not addresses. Yeah. Well, that's, but that's a secret question that you can ask There you go. Regional questions. Yeah. That's the Colombo moment when somebody says they're from New Mexico and you say, oh, red, green, or Christmas. Yeah. Like, well, I'm a big fan of uh, New Year's Eve myself. And then you go, aha, you're not from New Mexico. Yep. You're from... New York City. Some yeah, you're from some new place, New Amsterdam. <laughs> so uh, I guess this is my way of saying: if you think that you're being stalked by someone, or a family member is being stalked by someone, ask them a very specific regional question about wherever it is that you live. And if they don't know the answer and they pretend to have lived in that place, you know they're full of shit, and you should call the police immediately. Otherwise, you may be stalked by a doctor. Yeah, and he has the wiliness of having like all the doctor power on his side, but he's not like overly smart about other things. He just kind of wings it and kind of gets by on his laurels. Except he has a lot of skills that I would think that a surgeon would not have. Number one, uh, record tampering, which I would think would not be something that you spend a lot of time in medical school doing. Hmm, yeah, that seems uh, that seems really uh, a obscure to me because multiple times in these movies people are breaking into like the medical examiner's office and uh falsifying dental records nah, hand waves i can hand wave it number two he is constantly breaking into people's houses now i understand that you know me- everybody's leaving a door open all the time though. who is leaving a door open uh, I, I, then the who leaves doors keep- open uh, in these movies they do apparently so i don't know i guess it's pretty safe if you live in the greater phoenix area yeah if you live in los angeles you're gonna leave your doors open Fuck no no of course not all right fine yeah number three staging a exploding car death scene he's stealing cadavers actually yeah he's stealing cadavers from the morgue uh he's setting up like a car crash like and setting a car on fire i guess or blowing it up like, these are not things that you learn in medical school. I know, because I, 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 you know, I used to work in a medical school. They do not have an exploding car rotation. No. 
The closest we got was we got the medical examiner to come and show us uh, his collection of gruesome slides from being a medical examiner and go through all the gory details of all these horrible things. Yeah, the the gross lab where I worked had a bunch of grandfathered in like specimens that you would not be able to get away with having nowadays. Like, you know, weird fetuses in jars and stuff like that. Yeah, pickled fetuses. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But nowhere is explosives in there. No, I never saw any. Mm-mm. No, not at all. So, I don't know. But in both our first and second movie, he his attempt to to get with the girl is foiled and he, you know either he runs off in the night or he ends up in a in a jail cell now now just i just want to clear clarify here for a minute before i went to medical school and i was in college in chemistry i worked in a biology lab and i made explosives as just a fun thing to do on the side so i i you know it's not impossible that you would have a knowledge of explosives because I do. I won't tell you how to do it, but uh, you know, don't don't make explosives in bio labs. Yeah, it ended up going down all the drains. <laughs> I rinsed it down and it crystallized on the inside of the pipes, so the pipes were crackling for like a month afterwards. My boss was not really happy with me, but he liked me. So life lessons with Doctor Algren. <laughs> Explosion booms. Explosion booms, y'all. If you don't watch. Uh, movies with the subtitles on you guys are missing like a ton of amazing subtitled bot like sounds sound effects because they subtitled the sound effects too explosion booms is one of our favorites body thuds is another one of my favorites thuds yeah yeah they're good yeah it sounds like a double bill like a punk revival explosion the explosion booms and body thuds yeah yeah nice all right so now under our third movie does this movie follow essentially the same format? Kind of, yeah. This one turns it up to 11, though. But it does. The, so, the script is upped, and the acting is upped, and, and... And the variations. Like, you know, we had our theme, we had our initial variation. Now we're, like, in the Bach three-part invention. Yeah, it's like a fugue going on now. Everything is things, going on Multiple in this moving one. parts. Okay. We didn't mention that in the first few movies... There were several moments when he seemed to be hallucinating or like it's something seemed to be happening, but it was really a fantasy in his mind or just a dream. And those actresses get they get fucking hazard pay for being in those hallucination slash fantasy sequences, because in almost every single one of those, it's some young, you know, pert actress making out with leathery old Eric Roberts. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But in the third movie, they really ramp it up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, it, I I feel for those actresses. They've committed. They got money. They got to star in a movie with Eric Roberts, which, you know, is probably, you know, going to go on their reel. But uh, at the same time, you know, being being basically in your bra rolling around with a man who's old enough to be probably your grandfather is kind of creepy, even yeah. as an acting gig. Well, but by the third movie, Ooh. he's developed a full-on vertical split. Yes. He has an alternate personality that has taken on a life of its own and kind of accompanies him around. He's my- like Herman's head. Remember that show? I do. I no do. one else remembers that show. No, I do remember that 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 show. I he was a that guy one. that had several different personalities in his head that it's, would try to in- influence him. It's like that um, Pixar movie with the emotions. I can't remember. Oh, yeah, that. yeah. Um, Right, the all the emotions in the girls had when they moved yeah, to San Francisco. It's basically like that, right. except 
In this case, the alternate person is just another Eric Roberts, but he's like casual, regular Eric Roberts. Well, he's like Parrothead Eric. <laughs> Eric he's, yeah, he's, he's like he's like the Jimmy Buffett version of Eric he, Rogers. Look, he's very into cheeseburger in paradise. He's got his tropical drinks, which are apparently were provided by him. Yeah, uh, those hurricane glasses they give out in New Orleans at yeah, a like, cheap-ass bar. Like the little hollowed-out pineapples with all the umbrellas and shit yeah, sticking little, out of like it. Yeah, like a twirly, twisty straw. And right. he's always wearing Hawaiian shirts, and he's always telling his initial person, Dr. Beck, the original Dr. Beck, that he's a big fucking idiot and he needs to stop going after he's young like, girls. Stop going after young girls. And he's like, well, it's not about the young girls. He's like, stop going out with any girls, but I'll be lonely. And he's like, yep, that's right. You need to go. You be, need to go and be lonely. <laughs> you need to go find a house in the middle of nowhere and you just need to live there and suck it up and be lonely. Yeah. Well, we see him at the beginning of the third movie actually in bed with a woman who's close to his age. or Closer. You know, she's, she's, a, she's, a she's mature like her, woman. She's in her 30s. Or 40s. Sure, sure. Sure. She's maybe too young for him, but I mean she's a, she's a, you know, normal age of consent type thing. And they've been together for a few months. Yes, yes. And she's going to to confess to him her biggest darkest secret, which is that when she was in college, she had sex with a woman or she had a girlfriend and that, you know, maybe she would like to bring another woman in and have sex with the, him and another woman together and he's like well, if you insist, uh, <laughs> you <yeah>. were, <laughs> we're, we're telling our secrets. Right. And his secret is like, well, you know, I got in trouble with the law once. And she's like, well, was it malpractice? And he's like, well, something like that. And she's like, no, tell me more. And he's like, nah, you don't want to know. And she's like, come on, come on, tell me. And he's like, well, it was for kidnapping and attempted murder. And she's like, that that's not at all like malpractice. And he's like, well, they blew it all out of proportion. And she's like getting dressed and trying to get out of the house as fast as you possibly can. She's like, okay, I'll talk to you later. I'll see you soon. Well, uh, he, he also admitted to jury tampering during that little monologue for young actors. Oh, yeah. Okay, there you go. Yeah, well, that like, would be a good one. He was like, the only thing that kept me out of jail was that there was this one sympathetic juror. And you see like, you know, kind of an overweight middle-aged woman in the jury who's like waving at him. While, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, you know, if, if I hadn't been able to like manipulate her into telling everybody on the jury to let me go i would be in jail right now but you know thanks to that i'm here today yeah. and then his like his his uh, cheeseburger in paradise doubles like good job doctor you really fucked this one up right so we see him yelling at the at the you know at the parrot head version of himself while he's trying to beat this woman over the head with something i don't remember what <clears throat> She escapes. Well, the Parrothead tells him to take his pill. Oh, yeah, that's right. And he's like, oh, fine. And meanwhile, the woman gets away while that, that right. happens. So, yeah. we are led to believe that he is taking medication to keep himself from having hallucinations, I think. Or maybe he's taking medication to keep him from getting fixated on women or anger like what would you say tranquilizer something along those lines i would i would guess that's i mean what what prn tranquilizer of some sort that okay i'm just saying you know like to to quell you know his his outbursts i mean uh, he might be on some it might be some sort of like older antipsychotic that has uh, I remember it's so a uh, fast acting. Anti well, most antipsychotics are pretty fast acting uh, oral antipsychotics. But uh, the one we used to use was Trilophon. Mm. T for trauma. T for Trilophon. Oh, 
Was, uh, was that their was that their tagline? Yeah, it was. That was a long. That was actually a tagline long before I was in the business, mm-hmm. and uh, I had just seen old print ads for it and and remembered it. But that was that was one to use on really primitive borderlines of people who light themselves on fire in in the hospital, and you know, like that, those guys swallowing batteries and things. Wait, someone lit themselves on fire yeah. in the hospital? Yeah. yeah. Well, they used to allow smoking in those days. In the oh, hospital. oh, this is like in the this was room. this was way before. Before you were, is there a smoking room in a hospital? There was up until the the two thousands. Whoa, yeah, that would seem like. Well, we've had this conversation before because you used to smoke on the roof with the nurses sometimes. Yeah, I did do that. Yeah, yeah, because like if I was a patient, my doctor walked in. They had, of so smoke. this is what happened in the smoking room of the hospital. You used to have a nurse in there to monitor it, and the nurses didn't want to sit in there in a smoke filled room with the patients. But you couldn't just give them a lighter. Because of these other kinds of problems. Because you would set so, yourself like, on fire. The smoking room at, um, at uh, oh, I'm trying to remember if it was at U of I or one of the, I was at so many hospitals. I worked at so many hospitals. I think it was at U of I where it was like a, um, like a cigarette lighter in a car, but you would press a button and like this little mesh thing would glow red hot on the wall and you'd have to like bring your cigarette face up to this little thing and like push it against. Heater? Yeah, this little heater thing in the wall. And then light your cigarette and then back off from it. That sounds like a lot. And then you could like, you know, then you could like rat tail chain smoke. Every, everybody could light it off in yeah. your butt. Oh, okay. And, yeah. yeah. I so mean, only the first person needed to do that. Speaking of someone used to chain smoke when I had to stay up all night. To I do- used to roll cigarettes for my patients that were in my group therapy sessions because they had so many tremors. They had so much EPS from all the antipsychotics they had. Anyway, that's not important now. Learning moments with Dr. Algren. <laughs> Down memory lane. So, yes. So, in this movie, Dr. Beck has not a split personality. You would say like a, a dissociative identity? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, we, we have we have Cheeseburger in Paradise version and Doctor version. And he's no longer allowed to practice medicine because, you know, attempted murder, kidnapping, trial, all of these things. And so, now... Somehow he pulled strings to get to teach in this... Right. It's the, not a medical school. It's, it's not a medical school, but it feels like they're trying to make it a medical school. It seems like they're trying to make it a medical school. I think he's teaching human physiology, which could be, uh, you know, easily an undergraduate, sure. like a higher level, bi- you know, biology 300 level class or something. Based on the campus and also the student body, it... It didn't look. Like it looks like <laughs> it looks like community college, high school, college. I'm not saying that you can tell like like medical people or STEM people or or science people from the rest of college just by looking at them. But yeah, no, <laughs> they're not. People, they're not beautiful, put together young teenagers. The, sure, some of them are, but I mean, generally speaking, it's not a room full of sexy young ladies. It's generally a room full of like like with people with dark circles under their eyes and and a lot of books and and a worried frown. Mm-hmm. Speaking of books, this is just a, a brief like detail that I noticed in the film that uh, it made me laugh because they clearly did not want to get permission to use the textbook like names and stuff in the film so what they did was they turned all the textbooks on the shelves in his classroom around so the only thing you can see are the is the instead of the book spine it's the book pages and that's like the whole shelf of books well except for some that had like except for the binders <laughs> yeah that had like 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 printed out the important binders yeah. that he would then later distribute which ended up being filled with porn because of 
revenge reasons, which ha- on the spine said like like cardiology or like physiology yeah, yeah. or Car- something cardiac like that. physiology yeah. or something like that. Yes. Well, th- the third movie is Stockman by Doctor: The Revenge, Patient's Revenge, The Patient's Revenge. So this or is Patient's Revenge, right? So this is the story of the original victim, Sophie Green, taking her revenge on Doctor Beck because he weaseled his way out of the trial in which she was suing him. I guess. Right. It she seems was, like it she was, was not the a, one that was going to get her arms and legs cut off and her tongue and her, cut out. Yes. And it's like right. all these horrible things. Right. And so she, but she escaped with her life and then the doctor didn't go to jail but now she's made it her life's work to make sure that he goes to jail right so she transfers colleges so that she is a student at the college that he is teaching at uh and then she proceeds to do a number of things to him to try and get him fired which eventually she does the first of which is uh she has flyers that she's putting all around campus that say you know this is a horrible person here's all the things he's done he should be fired the second thing that she's she's doing is she has a petition, and we all know that a strongly ordered petition is is the way that you get things done. Uh, but she does get like twelve hundred signatures on it. Yeah, but fortunately for him, Doctor Beck has got a couple people on his side. For one, the president of the dean or whatever of the university that he's teaching at, and for another, his latest young victim, a young lady who he's taken uh, his trademark romantic infatuation too uh, except it's not it's not his usual dark haired type it's a right. she's a blonde haired girl this time but i think the first one was blonde was she yeah she dyed her well in this in the revenge she like oh in the revenge she in had the like revenge. A, a, vi, a, a vig she had a vig on <laughs> well event she does have a wig on at one point but she also just dyed her hair and, and had a really unfortunate bang chop that she did to her bangs yeah it looked like she cut it with a stapler yeah it was very good yeah not very good um Yes, so... A little so, bit of goth look she was going for, I think. So we got Blondie and we got Sophie. Blondie is not against the attention that she's getting from Dr. Beck. In fact, she's encouraging it. You know, she she stays out... I need out. a good letter of recommendation. Right. See, if I, if I fuck this guy, he'll give me a great letter of recommendation, right? I don't know that that was the thinking behind the letter of recommendation, but she does stay yeah. after class to, like, spend more time with him... And uh, he flirts with her in various inappropriate ways, which she encourages, which she encourages instead of being instead of going to a parent and saying, hey, this is happening. And the parent going, what do you want me to do about it? Mm. Well, into the point where Sophie, his first victim from the first movie, shows up and is yelling at Dr. Beck in his classroom, telling all the people, you know, that he's a terrible, awful sexual predator, Mm -hmm. attempted murderer, kidnapper, blah, blah, blah. And his new girlfriend is actually goes to bat and starts fighting for Dr. Beck. And like, they get into a little like a hair pulling kind of like wrestling match there right in the classroom. They do. Because the new girlfriend is so in his corner. Mm -hmm. Uh, At one point, Sophie hires goons there. This is the first movie we have goons in. Uh, She hires some goons to go attack him when he's leaving his classroom late at night. And they do, you know, they do typical goon beat down stuff. They, push him down, they kick him, all this kind of shit. But of course, Blondie's there to save the day. So she swoops in, and we see that Dr. Beck has a big cut on his arm. So instead of going to an actual hospital and having actual hospital people do, you know, stitches, he takes her back to the classroom and she stitches him up, which 
she doesn't really know how to do and they don't show but he's like yeah you you want to go to medical school you you gotta learn sometime here come stitch my arm up yeah he's making moon eyes at her and everything we we don't clean the wound or anything we just stitch it up right but you know that that cements their romance and and this this goes into the the signature scene from this this film the absolute crystallization of lifetime movie perfection she she walks him to his car she says here's my phone number if you ever need me you call me anytime you call me in the middle of the night if you want you just call me and you let me know that you need me and i'll be there and then she drives off and then we have a musical interlude yeah building on the the famous musical interlude from la la land with who was in that? I Ryan Gosling and somebody. Yeah, I don't. I don't remember the woman, but it's Ryan Gosling and somebody. They are they are situated overlooking, and this is supposed to be Arizona, southeastern Arizona State University. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but we <laughs> just outside of Tempe. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But we 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 have that sort of like backdrop of like la lights behind them they're on sort of like a hill there's a bench and they go into the song and dance number that is straight out of like la la land with the two of them dancing she's got a textbook as a prop and he's singing about you know how much he loves her and she's singing about how quirky this romance is and it is deranged yeah it's not a fine romance no no, it's, and, it's a it's a it's a repulsive romance. But it is it is like I don't know who decided that this was going to be in this movie, but bravo to you. I think it might have. I think the guy that directed this, the all no, of Bravo is a different channel. I'm it's thinking. true. This bravo is, is a different. Yeah. this is the kind of thing you would see on a Bravo show, though. Probably, I would say a song and dance number. Uh, look, we've seen a bunch of Lifetime shows, and I think that we can say at this point in the in the show. This is by far the best thing I've ever seen on Lifetime. It's fucking ridiculous. It's, as the, hell. it's it was playing on um, Amazon streaming. Yeah, you can uh, you can watch Amazon all of these Prime on streaming on depending Prime. on when you listen to the show. Right. But yeah, uh, uh, we weren't watching it on Lifetime, but we've watched a bunch of Lifetime movies, and they are uniformly dreadful, dreadful. Uh, I mean, some of them, some of them are a little bit more meaningful than others, like Friends Till the End. That's a good one. It's got Shannon Doherty in it. Mm-hmm. Um, or Mother May Sleep with Danger. That's a good one. Uh, the original. They have the remake now, yeah. And then they have the remake, both mm-hmm. which have Tori Spelling in them. Very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, in general. I they're, didn't see them, so I can't speak to them. Absolutely drag, but this was delightful. In a movie about a stalker featuring the stalker. I don't know. My head blew up a little bit at that moment. So, frivolity aside, we then see that the two of these uh, human beings, uh, Dr. Beck and Blondie, his student, they finally get together. They have, because we should mention Dr. Beck gets fired because Sophie Green is causing all kinds of trouble on campus and the dean, president, guy who hired him, who, yeah, whatever. The guy with the balding spot and the black shoe polish hair color. Yeah. The guy who's in charge of high school, community college, university. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's like, look, we can't have you teach here anymore because you're cause- you are not causing a scene, but people are causing scenes because of you. And no one's learning anything. And all we're learning is that you're kind of maybe a weirdo. Cancel culture. Yes. He's, he's canceled, man. Well, I guess this was supposed to be one of the themes of this movie was cancel culture. Oh, yeah? Yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't well, this is 2016, this movie. So. This is 20, 
2016 or 2017. It doesn't matter. It's one of the 2018s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they they go and they have a drink and she's like, like I just you know I've got a problem with dating guys my age. I'm into older men and he's like, well that's funny because I have a problem dating women my age. I'm into younger women. Meanwhile, his doppelganger's over at the bar, screaming. just parrot shirt, yeah, just screaming at Don't him. Don't do it. And he's like, well, you know, I've got this big mansion that's, you know, I'm living... He starts in on his lines again, and she's like, oh my gosh, I would love to see that. And he's like, really? Then they go home, and sex happens, but we don't have to watch it. Thank God for small favors. There is a fantasy sequence in which he has a fantasy about Blondie and Sophie Green wanting to have a threesome with him, which is not okay, but it's not real. Mm-hmm. But then we do see that she did she did have sex with him and like is like pretending to well not pretending well, he's she's really into him she's that's really what into him. I mean that's that's what the, every every indication is that she's just really into him that she just likes older creepy men yeah you know then takes she, all kinds of people right yeah mm-hmm. then she gets weird in in quick succession Sophie Green his original victim shows up hits him on the head uh, he, we should mention which we forgot to mention. This man has been hit on the head and concussed in the span of two years, because that's that's the span of time that all three of these movies take place in, at least half a dozen times. He's hit in the head with a golf club. He's hit in the head with a frying pan. He's hit in the head with a, a baseball bat, I think, at one point. He is hit in the head a lot, which cannot be helping his mental like status. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but... Sophie Green shows up, hits him on the head, ties him up, and then proceeds to threaten to cut his penis off with a medical instrument that Eric has never seen. Yeah, I don't know. It's, a, it's an interesting long scissor with like a... It had like a hook like on a, it. Yeah, like a trocar point on the end or yeah. something. Like you would slide it through a... I, I don't know what it was. Mm, it was big. Yeah. And apparently that is the tool you use to cut dicks off with. It's a dickectomy scissor. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's a, it's a eunuch maker. Yes. <laughs> It's a ca- cast- castratorium. Uh, yes, yes, and and this is this is when his and and so he's you know the Blondie shows up at the last minute saves him, uh, and so now now Blondie and Doctor Beck have decided to hatch a plan that they're never going to be free of Sophie in her meddlesome ways unless they do away with her. Right. Because they do go to the police and they're like, she tried to cut his dick off and the police are like, oh, you, you, the guy who like kidnaps women and stuff, you think we give a shit? And they're like, oh, I guess, I guess that's not going to help. Yeah. So he's yeah. like, oh, those lousy police, they don't, they don't help at all. Which is, you know, the refrain of all of his victims up until this point. Well, and you, you the noticed, other so the... The next logical step, because the police don't don't believe them and they're not going to do anything to help them, is, well, we need to go murder her. Let's murder Sophie Green. She'll be out of our lives forever. You'll finally be free. We can go and we can uh, we'll, we'll drive to California where she lives because she got kicked out of college because she was causing all kinds of problems. We'll shoot her. And then we'll come back and we can be each other's alibis for, you know, where we were. What could go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? He's got a gun in his bedside table like all doctors do. Yeah, which he bought illegally because, you know. Well, he's a stalker, you know. <clears throat> right. So they, they, they put this plan into to action. They drive to Los Angeles. 
uh, they've they, they got them in vending machines in Arizona. I mean, you can just put in a hundred dollar well, bill and a gun <laughs> drops out. Yeah, I don't know if it's quite you that. Have to be in Joe Arpaio's uh, like area, sheriff, yeah, sure, sheriff sure. Joe, sure. So they they do end up in California. They they follow her in her car into an alleyway at night, and Blondie's like, I don't think we can go through with this. And then she grabs the gun and runs out of the car and shoots Sophie in her car. At least. POV, we, we see from Dr. Beck's POV, shoots her in the car and then runs away and then shoots the gas tank. And like Mythbusters clearly has shown as a possibility, the car explodes. Sure. Yeah. Of course. Of course. They drive back. They're like, we're free. Right. And then there's a, a, a news flash the next morning. Oh, uh, the body was burnt beyond recognition, but we found from dental records that uh, it was uh, Sophie uh, who... Uh, who died in the uh, mystery burning car last night. What a terrible tragedy that is. This is the second time Sophie has <clears throat> burned in a car. Yes, and the second time we find out that those dental records have been tampered with once again because... Apparently it's really easy to tamper with dental records. You just wander into a medical examiner's office and just load them up in the middle of the night. Yeah, we have the uh, the big twist. So the big twist is... and. I got questions on this one. The big twist is Blondie is Sophie Green's best friend from childhood. And they're basically sisters. And they've set up Dr. Beck to look like a horrible attempted murdering kidnapper again. Because when the police come by to question Dr. Beck about the murder that happened with the exploding car, she goes upstairs and ties herself to the bed the same way he had tied her her friend, in the first movie. Got all that. <laughs> the police are there asking Agent questions. Agent Sandler and Young show up. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so so uh, so she's upstairs screaming that she's been kidnapped and that he's like, he tried to rape her and all this kind of shit. And the cops go to arrest him. And apparently he just keeps uh, 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 syringes filled with some sort of Haldol bullshit. Yeah, that's what I was speculating. That's what I would probably have used. Yeah, so so he's shooting him up with drugs and the... Haldol and a van cocktail. The cops just get knocked out immediately, you know, and... Uh, yeah, falling he, on the ground on the behalf of Dr. Beck, right? Right, he yeah. runs away. But then we we cut to Blondie going to a house out in the, I don't know, the hills of California... And that's where we see that her and Sophie Green are in cahoots. And they're still, they're still in Arizona, I think, in Maricopa County somewhere. Well, sure, fine. Whatever. So we find out they're in cahoots. Blondie is trying to help Sophie change her appearance so that she can go off and live in hiding for the rest of her life. Now that Sophie is dead for real. She's dead. But she's not. She's not dead. Right. But this is all in order to frame Dr. Beck for her murder and the attempted kidnapping of Blondie. Sophie's dental records probably have like a lot of like fingerprints on it, smudges and stuff by now. I mean, everybody and their brothers handled her dental records. The other thing that I love Does about- Does everybody have dental records down at the station somewhere? I Are my dental records in the, in the Chicago Police Department? I mean, whatever. It doesn't matter. It is confusing. Like, I, I, I have also wondered, like, when there's crashes and the stuff. The records room is also dark. <laughs> it's very dark. Like, but, you can't... But, I mean, you know, it's, it's at night. It's in the office. They sneak in. It's well, like, and, it's a, and the one place in a hospital that I would think that you would want darkness is maybe in a records room or radiology lab where you're looking at 
some kind of material that you need to, you know, light up. Yeah, I'm not going to I'm not going to ding them at this point cuz right. everything has gone completely haywire. Right now his uh his doppelganger uh parrot head version of himself is sort of like told you so. Right. I told you so. You said that she really liked you, but I knew better. Exactly. So our big third act moment is that he's stalked them all the way to this house. He's found both of them. He somehow knocks them both out with like ether or chloroform or something. Yeah, one is knocked out with a rag soaked, and, and the other one, one has, has like, like a hypodermic. Another the hypodermic needles because he's, he's just, got you got to bandolier those fuckers somewhere. Man, he's got just like like just big giant old glass syringes in his in his old antique doctor bag. He's oh got one God. of those like doctor bags like they had back in the fifties. Hmm. So he's having this fantasy about how he's going to remove each one of the women's hearts, purify them with love, and then transplant them into the other person's body. Yeah, this part is kind of cool. I like it because he's he's fantasizing that all this is happening in a classroom in front of a bunch of students. Yes. But they're both tied to the, like... The kitchen island. Yeah, the kitchen island. It's I a kept, big kitchen island. I kept saying that every building in this looked like your grandmother's timeshare in Sarasota because mm-hmm. every single place was like these these big mansions, and they were all decorated exactly the same with a, like, like fake like, baroque. Yeah, yeah, I mean it's like, like model houses. Like yeah. this, this like when you go into a model home and it looks like you know like straight out of it's some catalog. Yeah, yeah, it's been staged exactly. But they're both tied like head to foot. Sort of like uh, in opposition to very inefficient way of tying people up. Yeah, yeah, and Uh, uh, so yeah, bring us home. Yes, so so as he's you know he's extrapolating his grand plan to do this double heart transplant thing, and how then the two of them will love him forever. Blah 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 blah. Uh, Blondie gets her arm out, reaches down to one of the drawers in the kitchen island, finds a frying pan, and beats the fuck out of him again. He's been concussed yet again. It looked like a kind of small aluminum sort of nonstick pan, but still, yeah. Whatever. You know, she hit him pretty hard. She, she hit him hard. He staggered. Yes. Know. They they get themselves free. They call the, the, you know, the cops. The cops show up. And of course, he's disappeared into the wind again because we can never catch Dr. Beck. That's another thing he's very good at doing that they don't teach you in medical school, and that is making an escape, an escape. We made some escapes. I'll tell you right. You know. Oh, where did that? Where did that uh, body come from in the car? By the way, uh, they stole it from the the um, medical school. Oh, so it was a medical school. It was a it was a med, med school cadaver. Uh-huh. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. Now, here is my question to everyone out there because Blondie is the original victim, Sophie Green's best friend. Blondie not only goes through all of the sort of steps of you know entertaining dr beck's like creepy stalker behavior she fucks him not once but a few times i'm not sure that i have a friend that likes me enough to assist me in getting revenge on someone to the point where they would have sex with that person yeah with a creepy stalker attempted murderer kidnapper weird old leathery man weird old leathery psycho man yes yes (laughs) like out there do you have someone in your life that would do that i mean i know that like there are people out there who are like i would kill for you i love you so much that yes if you you know if it came if it came down to it i'd take a bullet for you but would you take an old man's weird leathery wrinkled dick for someone 
That is my question. The way the moonlight dances down your long hair. That sparkle in Thanks for listening to Cinema Super Collider. You can find us online at anchor.fm, but you can also subscribe to our podcast via any of the major podcast networks, including the Apple Store, Spotify, and others. If you'd like to email us, you can reach us at cinemasupercast at gmail.com. Thanks, and we hope to see you again in the future. The kindness in your smile could make me give you a chance. And your handsome movie star star could make me believe in romance. But I have to apologize. I don't fall for that stuff. Cause I'm not the kind of girl who falls in love. Just like the stars and sky, you and I fit together like a hand in glove. It's too bad for me, too bad for you. We're not the kind of people who fall in love.